Welcome to the Thrive Church Weekly Podcast. We pray that you will be blessed and encouraged by this message today. Thanks for tuning in. Good, good. So I'm Jared. If you haven't met me before, I'm a little bit too competitive, but only people that lose to me say that. So um, i got a fun word I want to share. Give us a wave if you were at Vision Sunday last week. Oh my goodness. Okay, hands down, hands down. Give me a wave if you don't know what the vision is at the moment. Oh, yes. Oh, come on. So then I, I could do a quick recap, okay, but I'll still finish on time. You'll still get lunch on time. The main things are going to happen. You'll get to leave and eat lunch. It'll be good. Okay, so quick recap on Vision Sunday. Glenn and Deb were here Sunday last week unpacking the vision. Now, this, you know, our general vision in life is always the same. It's to love God with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love others as we love ourselves to see the Great Commission fulfilled across the earth to see the kingdom of heaven advance and seek that first above all else in God's righteousness. That's the, always the thing. But there's facets within that that God chooses to highlight in different seasons. And as a, as a church leadership team and as a church staff team, um, we, we've really been feeling that God has been uh, speaking to us around equipping the saints for the acts of service. And I was chatting with my brother the other day, Josh, he's a pastor in town, he's running a church, and it's, he's just been in the saddle for nine months. And so it was coming up to his first Vision Sunday, which they had last week. And I was chatting to him, around, like, you know, you got your Vision Sunday, what are you doing? He said, well, I really feel like God is speaking to us as a church around equipping the saints. And I was going to be speaking around how we, we, we're God's saints, and we're equipped for the acts of service. And he had the same Bible verses, the same things that, that God was speaking to us, and it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out when other people in the whole Bible, you know the word Bible literally means book. I mean, I kind of underwhelmed when I looked that up the other day. Uh, I was like, it's going to mean like the, the, the book. And I was like, oh. Okay, so you know, there's all the verses in the Bible when God starts speaking to pastors and his leaders around the place going, hey, this is what I'm wanting to highlight. And you're landing on the exact same verse. And that same vision, I feel like in this season that God is wanting to begin to highlight the season that we're in as a church for the equipping of the saints for the acts of service. Now, it's not hard to become a saint. It's pretty easy, actually. It's very hard for Jesus to make saints. It cost him everything. He had to die on the cross. He had to suffer for the sins of the world. God redeemed him from death, raised him back to life again, and seated him and the highest of honors. So for God, it took quite a lot of effort to be able to create a pathway for saints. But for us to become saints, we simply need to believe in Jesus Christ to give our life to Him and to follow Him. No one comes to the Father but through Jesus Christ. And so if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, uh, look at yourself right now. It's quite hand, hard to look at your face. Just look at your hand. Like, oh, this is the hand of a saint. Oh, wow, this is what a saint's hand looks like. You don't actually have to have currently raised somebody from the dead to be a saint because you have Christ living in you and he himself has raised people from the dead and was raised from the dead. So you have the power of life over death inside of you. You are, in fact, a saint, which is really cool. Uh, The flip side of being a saint is that God has expectations on us as saints. And I'm not going to speak around the moral aspect 
of what many people in the world would think of when you hear the word saint. You kind of go, oh, that person's a saint. You go, oh, they not just be really loving and really patient and all the fruit of the Spirit all the time? I mean, yeah, that's, that's great, and we definitely want that. If, if you don't have love flowing through you, you don't have lots. Hey, man, how you doing? You're looking good today. Love those overalls. You're rocking it. Um, I distract myself so easily, people. <laughs> I don't know if I shared this the other day. Did I tell you the other day how I woke myself up sleep talking? And they're like, did I? Uh, I woke myself up sleep talking the other day. It's unfortunate for my wife who was not asleep. She's kind of like trying to work. She works and I just sleep. It's how we do life. I woke myself up with my arms out wide going, all of you, all of you would be so amazed. And I'm lying in bed with my arms out going, everybody, everybody's so impressed. That's it, it was impressed. You will all be so impressed. No idea what I was dreaming about, but self-affirmation. No worries. All right. Reel it in. We're talking about Jesus at some point, so it was probably good. So God's got these, these expectations on us as saints for the acts of service. Because you got to know, if you go to hell and back, you're expecting some results. You know? Results aren't top of God's priority list. It's relationship. But we have relationship with God. And so we should start to see the flow and effects of that relationship with God. I want to talk this morning about how Jesus equipped his saints for the acts of service. Because he's the ultimate teacher, he's the ultimate pastor, he's the ultimate uh, evangelist, he's the ultimate prophet, he's the ultimate apostle, and he works with us to equip us for the acts of service. So how did Jesus do it? How did Jesus prepare people for the acts of service? Well, I like Jesus because he, he pretty much cut to the mustard pretty quick. And so he would go to people and say, hey, you should come and follow me. I think, oh, I'd like to follow you. Or oh, where are you staying? What are we doing? You know, is it going to be a good time? And he would say things like, well, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but I have nowhere to lay my head. Come follow me into the great unknown. And people would be like, oh, yeah, maybe. Let me think about that. Yeah, go home, make my bed. One person said, well, I'd love to follow you, Jesus, but... um." I actually had a family member that's just passed away, and so I need to go take care of their funeral and do all of that. And then Jesus said, let the spiritually dead bury their own dead and carried on walking. And I was like, wow, that was probably not the pastor aspect of Jesus right then. My gosh, Jesus. Brutal sometimes. Ruthless sometimes. Unstoppable every time. Determined and relentless every time. You know what fascinates me about the life of Jesus? Fascinates me is he said, I, I've come to seek and save the lost. Oh, so it's my heart that none would perish. Because I, I've come to destroy the works of the devil. Have you ever thought about that? Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, but I can see the works of the devil still at hand in, in everyday life. Because it, it is my heart that, that none would perish, that, that all would come into relationship with the Father. But people perish all the time. Isn't it interesting that Jesus set his heart values and his goals to such an extent that even though for Jesus, because of humanity's free will, 
there was a level of things that were always going to be outside of his control because that's the way he set up creation. Because this is my goal. This is what I purpose myself for. And we can look and we can see across history that he has not achieved all of his goals. And there's no aspect of Jesus who goes, oh man, I feel like I'm failing. There's no aspect of Christ where he goes, man, I just, I just wasn't good enough. I mean, I wanted to destroy all the works of the devil, and I, and I dealt a deathly blow. I, I crushed his head under my heel, but yet I still see humanity oppressed by the schemes of the enemy. He doesn't sit there in self-pity. He goes, I've got an incredible plan that is still in motion. I'm faithful to bring to completion what it is that I have started I have these incredible sons and daughters that are going to pick up where I left off. I'm going to equip the saints for the acts of service. See, see, the reason why it's so essential for us to pick up where Jesus left off is that if we don't, Jesus doesn't get his full reward. And there's this, I think, personally, a very wonderful and, in my opinion, a very flawed strategic plan of heaven because it relies on human interaction. He goes, I'm going to set everybody up to succeed. I'm going to give them all the resources they need through Christ crucified and resurrected. I'm going to say you're no longer lost, you're no longer orphans, but you've been redeemed through grace as sons and daughters of God. You are saints and I will equip them for the acts of service. And then I will let the choice be theirs whether they do the acts of service or not. My heart is that none would be lost. My heart is that the works of the devil will be totally annihilated, that, that heaven would come on earth, and I'm going to set up my sons and daughters to be able to do it, and the earth is in a state of constant groaning, waiting for the sons of God to be revealed, to step into their mandate. He goes, oh, I'm going to set all this up, and then I'm going to go, you know what? My wonderful church balls in your court. And he goes, oh, I just want to partner with people that will pick it up and run. Oh, I want to partner with people that will just give it a go and, and be happy with making a bit of a mess. So this is how Jesus equipped his saints. He got his 72 disciples, and I'm not great at, you know, detailed analysis but my best guesstimation is that these disciples have probably been with Jesus for maybe about 18 months, okay? And so if you have been following Jesus for 18 months or more, just place your hand right here on your heart so I can see you. Now take your hand off, and then on count of three, put it on now, it's loud. One, two, three. Oh, there's a lot of hearts right here in the room that have been following Jesus, Let's just do that one more time, just because I enjoyed it. One, two, three. So Jesus said, come follow me. I'm going to make you a fisherman of men, Peter. Come follow me. I don't have anywhere to rest. I don't have any great thoughts around comfort. I have got the will of God in my heart. My only mission and mandate is to do all that I see the Father doing. I'm about my Father's business. Come follow me. And so these people start gathering around Christ. They've been following Him for about 18 months. And then He says, all right, now you guys just go. 
Don't take extra money with you. You won't need it. Don't take any additional resources. It's just going to slow you down. Go into a place, and if somebody opens up their home so you have a roof over your head, stay there as long as needed and preach in that place. Proclaim my kingdom, heal the sick, cast out demons, cure the lepers, and raise the dead. Have a great time. And they go, cool, Jesus, uh, are you coming with me or are you going with him? He goes, oh, no, I'm just going to have a rest for a while. Bulls in your court, guys. I'll just, I'll just be here waiting watching Satan fall like a star, paralyzed by the power of grace overflowing the planet as the purposes of God begin to reach their fulfillment. So here's the thing, and you heard the sound in the room. The sound in the room testifies to the truth that this room is filled with people that have been following Christ for far longer than Peter and John were. Well, Jared, they, they had Jesus face to face. Oh, I get that. That's why the Bible says, great is the faith of those who believe in Christ and have not even seen him. It doesn't say, wow, you know what? Lesser is the expectation on those that have not seen him. It doesn't say, greater is the allowance for those that falter in unbelief. It says, no, no, just greater. They're just greater because they haven't seen and they believed anyway because faith is not the evidence of what you see, but the hope for of what is still uncertain but certain in the truth of the Word of God. And so they go out and they come back to Christ and they're, they're literally amazed. They go, Jesus, it worked. I can't believe it. It worked. Even the demons had to listen to us. Their minds are blown. And Jesus goes, that's amazing. But it doesn't even compare to the fact that you've got a relationship with God and your lives are written down in the book of life. He goes, I so care about the relationship, but I totally have an expectation on the fruit and the work. So that's how Jesus equipped the saints. So our theme this year is on equipping the saints for the acts of service. But here's... Here's how I would like to preempt this entire year. Yes, as teachers, as pastors and leaders, we want to do our absolute best to anchor everything we say in the Word of God that it might edify and build up the body of Christ. But it would be thinking too little of the church to say that you need to be built up anymore. You're big enough. Like you're a saint. You've sat in services for a large portion of time. There's nothing that I could say that you haven't already heard repackaged in some other way. There's no further qualification than you need than the redemptive nature of Jesus Christ. There's no course that you could possibly ever go on that would make you more qualified than the affirmation of the throne room of heaven. There's nothing that I could possibly teach you that the Holy Spirit, the teacher, can't or hasn't already imparted into you. So yes, we want to equip the saints for the acts of service, but I precept that by saying that you are a saint already equipped for the acts of service. Jesus took his guys on a journey for like 18 months. He was like, you know what? You're ready? Just go. Just, just go do it. And they came back amazed. 
that it worked. I think that they thought that they needed a whole lot more. I think they thought they weren't ready. They were underqualified, underskilled, under-resourced. And if I were one of them, I would have said, Jesus, this doesn't look like, like a very good leadership pathway to me. You haven't even given me a pamphlet. I, I haven't even had a life group leader call me up and explain to me the three-step process of which I meant to do things. You just told me to do it. You didn't even give me a how. All you gave me was authority. I can't see that. I can't put that in my pocket. I can't test that beforehand. I have no way of determining whether I come up against a challenge, whether you're going to come through for me or not. Jesus, you're not even coming with me in body. And Jesus is like, oh man, just greater. Just greater is the faith. Just greater is the faith of those who believe and haven't seen you. Just go and be greater. I love the way that Jesus would do ministry because it seems to lack an element of planning continually. In my mind, Jesus runs a conference. They don't do any great marketing strategy or anything like this. If you look at the way that Jesus starts his ministry after he gets baptized, he actually starts baptizing people as well with his disciples. And his brothers say to him, Jesus, why are you doing this on all the, all, all, all the heck of little towns, Jesus? If you want to be somewhere great, you should be by the Jordan, basically. You should be in the cool cities. He goes, no, no, I'm just going to do my own thing in these, these heck little places. That's how Jesus started. And he would do these random things and host these massive, you know, what we would call conferences now in the most awkward of places. What are you up to, Jesus? He's got 4,000 men there, plus all their families. And then Jesus says to his disciples, I feel sorry for these people. I've preached for so long that if they go now to get food, they're so far away from the dairy, they're going to pass out on the way. (laughs) If Jesus said that to me, I would have said, well, Jesus, are you not prophetic? Could you not have anticipated this? Did you allocate a budget for our catering? Did you steward your leadership well? Did you build a team around this? Was this just you just gunning your thing, Jesus? And then Jesus says to them, you guys should feed them. Wow, thanks, Jesus, for making your problem my problem and once again not giving me any resources. I am justified in my victim mentality right now, Jesus. You have not set me up to succeed at all. I don't even like 2,000 of those people. Let them go off and pass out in the desert. I'll just take this stuff on the way home. And so Jesus goes, you feed them. And then we don't have any food. It would cost us a year's wages. He goes, well, just you know, get that kid's lunch and make it happen. Cool, Jesus. We'll just make up the rules now, shall we? Let's just, let's just start pulling things out of thin air, shall we? Or we have a problem, well, let's just magically find some mystical solution. See, Jesus had this incredible understanding that he was co-laboring with God. Glenn's going to unpack co-laboring a little bit more, and it'll probably be a little bit more elegant than what you're getting this morning. But he understood that that he was co-laboring and that he had his sphere of responsibility 
as a son of God, he had his mandate and his job description, which at this point was to preach the Word of God and to be motivated by love and powered by faith. That's pretty much his job description. Preach the Word of God, be motivated by love, and be empowered by faith. This is my job. This tiny box right here. Everything outside of it is God's job description. It's His business. It's father and son, not son and father. I'm a co-laborer. I'm not, I'm not the director of the enterprise. This is God's problem. So he had a full expectation that if I just do my job, God will do his job. And where we struggle in a Western society with all of our phenomenal intellect, which was passed down to us through our Greek heritage and the way that we think, is that we go, well, I can see this. I can see my responsibility. So I will do my responsibility, but I can see all the other things that are not covered. So I'm going to do all of those as well. But I can't do all of those and my job for 4,000 people. So I'll just do what I can do with all of these jobs for 100 people. And we shrink back what is possible based on what we can do in our own strength. And instead of going, God, I will trust you to be God, by default, what we are actually doing unintentionally through our desire to steward our resources, our time, and our faithfulness well, unintentionally what we do by our actions is we say, I don't know if I can trust you, so just to be sure, I'll shrink it back to what I can do on my own. That may not be your experience, but for me, that's mine. That's what I do. But when we co-labor with God and we start to take a few risks and start to allow God to edify himself to us by us being faithful in what we are called to do and going, you know what? I am called to do this. The most honoring, faithful thing I can do is not step out of my job description into his. The fact that I can't see what he's doing terrifies me. The fact that he hasn't done it yet scares me even more. The fact that people have told me that I'm probably going to fail, or even if they haven't, I'm just imagining it's what they're thinking because that's the lives of the enemy coming around me, scares me again at a whole nother level. But the most faith-filled thing I can do is to give him the benefit of a faith-filled doubt, for lack of a better terminology, and say, you know what? I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to trust that even if it doesn't happen in my timing, the God who is faithful to bring to completion what he has started will step in and he will fulfill his part of the job description and I will co-labor and I will not decrease what is possible that I can achieve on my own, but instead I will pray, God, increase my vision. Increase the level of risk that I take so that I can pursue you because the fact of co-laboring, when we co-labor, there is exponential growth when we co-labor. There's no way I would ever run a conference like that. I've run youth camps. I've never been that faithful. I have always, 100% of the time, done my best 
to do my job description and then constantly stepped into God's, felt convicted, stepped back into mine, felt fearful, stepped back into God, felt encouraged, felt loved, felt, what are you doing, Jared? Stepped back into mine. And then eventually I've just done the spiritual splits and gone, I'll do both. But the challenge for us is to go, you know what? If Christ went through all that he went through for relationship, so that he could have that relationship with us, and then he says that Christ in us is the hope of glory, then we need to actually be able to trust him that he's more invested in his kingdom of heaven working than we even are. And we need to trust him to stay in our zone, no matter how underqualified we feel, trusting that who he is is more than enough to make up for our mistakes. And if we find ourselves hopping into God's zone, not to get too despondent, but just go, God, I'm sorry, I'm going to hop back into my lane. And I'm going to leave room for you to be you and for you to do the wondrous, even if people around me are going, this is the stupidest strategy I've ever seen. David, you're going to run at a giant with a rock? You're an idiot. Gideon, you want to surround an army that can't have been counted with trumpets and torches so everybody can hear you and see where you are in the dark? Do you know how the element of surprise works? Really? This is your strategy? I love what happens when we leave room for God. And when we refuse to be limited by our resources, our time, our energy, and we go, you know, if God is in it, if God is calling it, then that's the only hunch that I need. I used to get quite worked up that if I didn't stay in my zone perfectly, that I would step out of favor. If I didn't process well, if I didn't manage the project or the endeavor well, I would inadvertently remove myself from favor. Until one night chatting with Rowena, the soundboard of wisdom and application in my life, uh, pointed out that God's favor basically risks on his kids, not on the work of their hands. It's because I am favored that what I do will prosper. Because my heart is for him, even if the actions are unintentionally wrong and I'm building in the wrong place, God's favor is still going to be with me. He's going to teach me, and he's going to lead me through those processes and bring me back on track, but he's not going to hang me out to dry. He's going to do it. Now, here's the, here's the thing. We can be in our zone, but if we step into God's and we start doing his work, the Bible says, unless God builds the house, the work is labor in vain. This is a discouraging place to be living in, trying to micromanage God's responsibility. I want to tell you, if you've been feeling discouraged, I just want to encourage you this morning. You have got permission to let God be God. It is not abdicating responsibility. That's actually a lie from the enemy. If you're struggling with areas in your life, with relationship, with provision, with freedom, different things, we are at our most wonderful when in God we're at our most vulnerable. It does not abdicate our 
responsibility as sons and daughters to say, God, I don't know where I'm meant to be. I don't know what I'm meant to be doing. So all I'm going to do is put my eyes on you. I'm just going to pursue you. And God, can you just please steer everything else? Because I'm just making a mess. I'm so confused. I feel so responsible for so many different things. I just don't know where my role ends and yours begins anymore. It's got all muddled. You can just say, Jesus, I feel like I'm a bit of a mess. I want to put myself back in your hands. And he goes, great. I can lead you through this as well. I love the story of Nehemiah. Can we get the keyboardist up? That'd be phenomenal. That's quite an exaggeration. It would just be quite nice, really. <laughs> You're wonderful. But, uh, you know, let's not over-dramatize a little bit of background music. Oh, yeah. And then the presence of the Lord arrived. Mm, we testify. Read it from the book of Nehemiah, which is a lot more encouraging than Jeremiah. Just behave yourself, son, when you grow up, okay? <laughs> so, Nehemiah, before the time of Christ on earth, Nehemiah comes into Jerusalem to rebuild the city funded by a pagan king, which I just love that. also love being able to use the word pagan in church. I haven't done that in a long time pagan. Um, and they've been trying to build this wall for eons, like over and over and over. There's fail, 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 fail. Nehemiah comes in and says, like, I think we can do it. I know we can do it. And, and, and in 52 days, they rebuild a wall surrounded by enemies with conflict on the inside, conflict on the outside, fear pushing in all around them, boasting of power it did not have. And in 52 days, they'd completed what they had not been able to do for hundreds of years. That was an exaggeration. Like 170 years or something like that. It was 75 years. You can read it. This is what it says. When all our enemies heard about this, they completed the wall. When all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of God. When we co-labor, not only is there an exponential increase, and as saints, when we co-labor, that actually removes our excuse because God doesn't expect less of us because we haven't seen. He just says, it's just greater that you do. It's greater that you still believe, even though you haven't seen. I don't expect less. I just commend you all the more. But our co-laboring actually looks different. It testifies to the world of the goodness of God. Says all their enemy nations lost their confidence when they saw that we were working with God. All the spiritual battles that you find yourself in, the contentions for your, for your children, the contention for your finances, for your health, for your business, for your marriage, and the spiritual conflict 
that we find ourselves, and the Bible says our, our enemy isn't against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and the powers of the unseen world. When you go to step into something new, and I, I say this from firsthand experience, it is amazing the wave of fear that hits you when you step out of the boat. But can I encourage you? I believe that if we stay in our zone, go, God, I trust you with yours. That spiritual wave of fear and spiritual attack will lose its confidence as it sees they are saints equipped for the works of service. They are working with God. Jedediah Thurner, who's speaking at our New Life Conference, said this. I was interviewing him um, just before we headed down the Amazon River uh, last year over in Peru. And he said this statement, we must use our faith to do what the world can't do. They can fill stadiums, they can do great events, but we must use our faith to do what they cannot so that they would stop and ask, how was that possible? So we can answer, only God, only God, only God. Can we just stand this morning? I just want to pray a prayer over us as as God's saints, as His sons and daughters, fearfully and wonderfully made, seated in heavenly places. And if you're just in agreement with this prayer for your own life, then I just want to encourage you, at the end, just say amen, which simply means I agree. God, I thank you that through Christ Jesus, we are already redeemed. That through Christ crucified, we are already set free. That through Jesus Christ, we already have more than enough. That through the revelation of your Son, we are made saints. We are made whole. That we have been called, we have been chosen, that we have been set aside. That we are already equipped. And Jesus, I thank you that your mercies are made new every day. That your grace is more than enough. God, that you are faithful as a teacher to lovingly instruct us when we step out of our job description and we start trying to micromanage yours. Jesus, I thank you that you favor us, not just what we put our hands to. Jesus, I want to be used by you. Jesus, I give myself to you fresh for the works of service that heaven would invade earth, that the sick would be healed, that the broken would be restored, the cities would be made new. Jesus, you're all that I need. I thank you that in you I am ready right now. Send me, Jesus, to the alleys, to the byways, to my school, to my family, to my workplace, to my next door neighbor, to that broken relationship, to that sick person, to that challenge. God, send me. And I thank you that you go before me and you make a way. Thanks again for tuning in to the Thrive Church weekly podcast. Stay up to date with everything that is happening by following us on social media.